The world is a new place, and we're all making adjustments. It moves faster and changes direction more frequently than ever before. People feel stuck, unfulfilled, and lost in their lives. I hear this all too often. Where are the answers? Someone please just give me the answers. Well, what if I told you the answers are finally here? My name is Scott McDonald, and I was once just like you. Join me on my process of personal development, pathway of success, and pursuit of happiness. For you see, my job isn't just to ask questions. My job isn't to just listen. My job is to ensure what happened to me does not happen to you. Okay, so this is episode two of Real Experience Student Athlete Edition. Today I'm joined by a good friend of mine, Spencer Anderson, all the way from Chicago, Illinois. Uh, Spencer was actually uh, played for my dad in junior um, back in our mid to late teens, and uh, we've kept our friendship going ever since. So here we are, episode two. Spencer, the first guest on the show, and here we are during these crazy times of the coronavirus. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's uh, definitely crazy times locked up here in my basement, and actually just got noticed that. Uh, I get to extend my stay at home for a little bit longer. Just uh, just got announced today that they're going to be shutting everything down here in Illinois and really taking it serious. So crazy times. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, you know, here we go, basically just hanging out in the basement and just doing the uh, Ned Flanders uh, bomb shelter uh, tech tactic, basically. <laughs> we don't, we don't have any shelterinis. <laughs> <laughs> But there you go. But uh, hey, I appreciate you being on the show. Um, you know, obviously in the past, we've talked a lot about, uh, you know, our philosophies on just sports in general. And obviously, we have a hockey background. And now making the show is to be able to expand that and speak uh, our philosophies out to the entire, you know, sports world and student athlete world. Because I think that's the, you know, you and I both being coaches of, of youth athletes, I think we see a lot of struggles and a lot of ups and downs and a lot of people who are just not getting the right information and obviously now this is really the perfect vehicle to be able to deliver that information um so you know i just wanted to uh you know people obviously like always the one wanting to listen to influencers and and big time celebrities but obviously we're not those guys no. you know we will we will be this will be the first this is the first original shows of, of having a guest so in a year we'll be uh we'll be up on there with five thousand people sitting in the theater but uh for now i uh, just wanted to uh have you tell our audience you know a little bit about yourself and um you know, so they get an idea of where you're coming from and we can go through the journey that, uh, that you lived. 
Yeah, yeah. So just a, a little bit about myself. It actually really starts with my father. My father uh, was a former NHL player, did end up playing for the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Quebec Nordiques, and the Hartford Whalers. So I uh, was born in Hartford, kind of lived a lot similar to like a military lifestyle where picking up and traveling a lot with regards to my dad's work. Um, after he was done playing hockey, he got into coaching and moved into that full time. So uh, I kind of grew up all over a little bit um, of everywhere with regards to the U.S., lived on the East Coast, West Coast, and then obviously now here in the Central, but also spent a little bit. Of, so a lot of um, a lot of my, my hockey career. Can you hear me okay there, Scott? Just, uh, yep, just getting yep. No, I got you good. Yeah, yeah a, lot of my, a lot of my own hockey background comes uh, from my father's love of the game and you know, I always enjoyed playing growing up. So that's, that's where I am. And now here I am retired almost 10 years and, you know, coaching kids hockey and living the dream with, with two young ones that are uh, keeping me busy. Yeah, that's awesome. And um, for, for those of you who don't know, uh, Spencer's dad is uh, John Anderson, who's a former Toronto Maple Leaf. He's a uh, Memorial Cup winner. Um, you know, probably the best playoff mustache of all time that you ever <laughs> see. So uh, John Anderson, AHL, if you want to Google him and see what he's all about, by all means. And he had one of the best burger joints here in Toronto. And there's still a couple of the, uh, the originals still around and a couple of franchises in Toronto, Canada. So check it out if you can. Um, so, you know what, I think for the, our, our listeners, um, you know, especially with them being student athletes, they're thinking, wow, son of an NHL player that must be the best life ever, man. You got access to everybody, but it's, you know, like I've talked to well, your whole family and, and knowing you guys for 15 years, um, you know, which I've been very fortunate of. And um, there is like some perks to it. Absolutely. But um, you know, you, you're talking about like that living all over the map. And I know that uh, for you, um, you know, going from Chi town up here to Toronto, living with uh, your aunt and your uncle, um, you know, in your early, in your mid or early teens to late teens, uh, that's tough. And you were really getting the pro NCAA OHL, you know, uh, boot camp right off the hop. So how was that for you when you were growing up? Yeah. You know, uh, moving around was tough in the sense that like, you didn't really get to stick around and have long lasting relationships. I think I was lucky to, to be able to experience different parts of the country, um, and get different, uh, cultural experiences for myself. I did find it, uh, difficult as I started to get older, right? Um, you know, you, you begin to um, maybe lose out on certain things with regards to uh, like schooling, right? Like, you know, high school proms and things like that, that I wasn't really privileged to, to, to be able to go to um, trying to make like hockey a career. But, you know, for the most part, it was a pretty good lifestyle. And it was, it was definitely an adjustment when you end up living with somebody else. that's not your mom and dad, I would say, right? Like you're, you know, you're, you're a little more, uh, you have to become a little more self-sufficient a little more independent. Um, things like, you know, doing laundry or, or even cooking for yourself. Um, I can tell you the, the Mac and cheese and the cereals, they can only go so far. So. Yeah. And, and so when it comes to taking care of yourself, like, you know, now you got to do your own laundry, you got to do your own cooking, you know, not, your hand's not going to be held during that entire time. So when you first got into that world, uh, especially when living up here uh, in Caledon uh, with Bugs yeah. and with Judy, um, what what made you be able to to get through that quick? Like, is that something you're just able to pick up on, or is it something that you know it was a bit of a grind at the start? Uh, 
it was a little bit of a learning experience. Actually, you know, my aunt Judy uh, was probably the biggest influencer on me. I, I still kind of laugh is, um, you know, one of the big things that she kind of instilled was she's not going to be, she's not there to be the maid or she's not there to do, you know, to do our laundry. Um, and so it kind of, she kind of forced my hand to learn how to do these things. Right. Um, and it doesn't seem like a hard task at all, but like you said, you're just starting to get, like gain um, more experiences in adult quicker. So she was, she was very uh, adamant about doing it. And you know, one story is, uh, at the time, I think my grandmother, my grandmother was living with us, uh, too, up there. And, uh, it was, was still 91, to... by the way, yeah, just, yeah. just, just, uh, went through, uh, some, uh, therapy to beat cancer there. So that's pretty, yeah, awesome. yeah, she's doing well, but she ended up, I think, uh, I was getting ready to leave to go to team Canada, right, Scott? Yep. And my aunt had a rule too, is if, if I, if she's not doing the laundry, uh, my grandma's not doing the laundry either. And I think, <laughs> Unbeknownst to me, my grandmother actually grabbed my bin and did my laundry the one time. My aunt was so upset because she thought I had asked her to do it that she took my laundry and hit it. And this is the day before I have to fly across to Saskatchewan to go play for Team Canada in the uh, first ever World Junior A Challenge. So that was uh, an interesting experience. I still kind of laugh about it now, but uh, it's funny as you get older, you start to appreciate those things and you start to understand a little bit more about what it means to be an adult and why it's important to pick up these things quicker. And I know it's it's not easy sometimes, but the more you can rely on yourself to be more self-sufficient, the better off you're going to be. Yeah, absolutely. Especially with, um, you know, there's the big entitlement thing that's going on with millennials these days. So what would your advice be to the ones who are serious? Like we, like we have a lot of serious athletes at OHC that, that, you know, that you've, you've been a part of in those camps and, um, even, you know, talking to them, like they can score 50 goals a season, but they, but you know, 14, 15, 16 years old, they still can't do their laundry and they don't know how, what would you do? What would be your advice just to make sure that they just get those really, once you get it down, it's really an easy life skill. Yeah. It's, it's not that hard just to ask. I think, um, you know, we, we talk about this a lot, Scott, when we were ta- chatting before uh, we started recording here, just about kind of being in control of what you can control, right. With regards to certain things like that, you know, people are willing to help you no matter whether it be the laundry or whether it be recruiting or, or questions about um, the biggest thing is just being a, uh, not afraid to ask and then, you know, being not afraid to fail either. Right. Like it, again, it seems, it seems simple to just do your own laundry, but like, again, there's all these different, uh, different settings maybe, and you're not, you're not sure. Just ask somebody. And, you know, I know that sounds, that sounds silly when we just talk about laundry, but that applies to all areas of life. Well, yeah, and it's wild because we've talked to some of our girls who are, who are committed to NCAA through the hockey club and then, you know, some of their friends who are playing other sports. And it is one of those things. It's like, I don't know how to live on my own. And, and that's a difficult part. And I think, you know, this is why these conversations that we're having are so valuable. Like you think it's something as, as little as laundry, but when I was in the military, it was, you know, at basic training, it was basically like, here's all your, your gitch. Here's what we want, how you want me to do it, go and do it. And then you're looking around and for me, I had a team that could say, okay, who's the best at polishing boots? Who's the best at ironing? Who's the best at this? And we all found a way. But when you're put into res with someone who you don't even know, you don't, you don't even know if the person's going to like you. You have to develop that relationship still. Uh, it is hard to ask. And, uh, and that's kind of the other thing moving forward too is like the, do you think, you know, that these athletes should be you you using their resources like online is amazing these days and it's your yeah. one your one search word away from figuring out how to learn something online would you say that's probably their best resource to get started 
there's so many resources, but yeah, I would say just start, you know, Google search things. YouTube is obviously a great way to uh, get involved. Obviously podcasts too, right? Even myself, the one thing I can always say to, to most kids now is we're always kind of relying on other people to teach us, um, you know, to teach us, to give us guidance too, right? Some, like I said, some of the best things that happened to me uh, were, were like my willingness to learn, right? You know, right now I do sales and one of the things I can tell you is once I stopped limiting myself to whatever the company was feeding me from like a sales perspective to get better at my profession and I started taking it more serious and putting it in my own hands to get better, um, I was able to become a better salesperson, not just from like selling, but also just like guiding customers through experiences. And I would say like most kids, they're just looking for the answers. They're not, they're not seeking, they're not seeking them out themselves. They're just going to somebody and asking for the answer. They don't want to find, they don't want to actually spend that time through the journey of understanding what it is. Um, in regards to getting to that answer. Yeah. And this is what we actually talked about earlier is, um, you know, they're very good at working hard on their job and they're not good at working hard at themselves. And um, if we can just go into that a bit, like let's go through it, working hard at your job. And this goes for all sports. Uh, You're great at, you know, making the rep team or the junior team. You go to every practice, you sign up for your, 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 all your skill clinics, you do all the camps, and they think that's going to be what, what's going to put them over the top at the highest level. And what turns out, no, that's just, again, you're going to be able to perform at your sport. But then you find out there's burnout. There's not eating right. Don't know how to eat. Don't know how to manage my time correctly. Don't know who to go to when I'm you know, having trouble with my studies. And uh, what, what would you say, you know, there's obviously that balance. But would you say, you know, when you're getting into high school or you're in entering university throughout your collegiate career, would you say that those life skills start to have more of a stock value than the actual skill development because they've been working so hard over the last 10, 15 years to get to that point? Yeah, it's, it's tough to say, right? Like I think like those things are all important, right? It's important to, to do all those things that you're mentioning, right? Like you, you kind of have to, you're forced to do it, but I feel like, Again, I I think a lot of the answers that we have are actually, we know the answers to a lot of things that we have questions to, especially when it comes to like sports uh, or life in general. It's just the problem is we don't really like those answers. We don't want to, we don't want to seek or go through that grind. You know, one of the guys I love listening to is David Goggins. Um, Yeah. David Goggins. I read his book. It's phenomenal. Yeah, his book, his book's phenomenal. I've listened to uh, a couple of podcasts that he was involved. There's another book with Jesse Itzer that, uh, that he actually lived with this guy, Jesse Itzer. Um, I saw that on Joe Rogan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you've, if you ever read his book, his book is hilarious too. Um, but it's just, you know, we understand what we have to do. It's just sometimes we don't want to go through the pain of actually getting the end result. Right. And I, I think I talked to you, Scott, like one thing that I, I would say like as a regret of mine is I didn't take care of the things I could control and things I can control would be like, you know, my diet, my rest, um, you know, how frequent I worked out, how frequent I shot pucks, right? Like just because everyone's doing all these like other camps and everything like that just doesn't mean that, you know, you're, you're entitled to that team or you're entitled to um, a certain level of hockey. Right. Um, but So let's go back to that then. If, you know, in terms of being in control, you're in control of you. And yeah. 
I think that's what goes back to that working hard on your job and working hard on yourself and being able to identify that. So, um, you know, going back, what would you have done differently when it came to, let's, let's talk about diets, a big thing. Yeah. And, and your actual training regimen. Like if you could go back and, and do it over, what were some, what were some of the things you would do to, uh, to be like, Hey, that got me through it. It was a no brainer. Like this is like a, a secret to success for the listeners right now. Yeah. If I could go back and look at like some of the mistakes I made, I probably would have spent more time for me personally, it would have been spending more time in the gym getting stronger. I think some of us develop strength at an earlier age and I could talk through, and I'm sure you could talk through guys that were like, you know, touted as like the next great one. Um, but they had like, they had man strength at like, you know, 14, you know, and even me as like an 18 year old, I didn't have like that, that man strength until, you know, later on in life. So, you know, but I could have controlled that. I could have spent more time in the gym and I thought maybe two days was enough when really I should have been in there three to five days and then focused a little bit more on my diet. You know, I would say, you know, we know what not to eat. We know what to eat, right. To, to keep us healthy and what our body needs is fuel. Um, it's just whether or not we want to make the sacrifices. And if you look around it too, like, you know, we talked to Scotty about competing, you know, you're not just competing against, you know, the people, uh, you know, in your leagues, you're, you got to think about everybody else's, everybody else has some of these similar goals that you have. So you got to really think about how can I, um, how can I gain a competitive edge? Now, whether that's shooting pucks or whether or not that's working out or eating healthy, you know, this is what the the top athletes do. That's why they're the best. You know, Connor McDavid, um, Connor McDavid, he just doesn't, you know, rely strictly on his skill sets now, right? He's built them up over time. But, you know, even listen to City Crosby too, like they're all continuing to work and own their craft. And um, I think that that's what a lot of the, these kids now really need to continue to work on is, is how can I get better each day? And maybe better does mean taking a day off and getting some rest. Yeah. And I, I, and I think that's a problem that, that, you know, it's hard for the kids to say no because they just want to go out and have fun. And then mom and dad, all they want to do is watch their kid. Right. And, and to go back to David and and I I think it's a level of intensity. Like for one, there, there can be a level of intensity in the gym, the intensity of how serious you take it. And then the intensity of how proper your diet regimen is. And people say, okay, well you said that we know what to eat. We know not to eat. We'll put it this way. We all know what foods are bad. It's, it's pretty obvious out there and we know what's good. So it's obviously making those decisions of if you can handle the taste and if you and really just get over the taste because it's, it's for purpose, not for pleasure, basically. And that's one thing for kids have, a, have trouble with, right? I had trouble with it. Like, damn, my first salad until I was 18 for crying out loud. <laughs> <laughs> I still struggle with, you know, there's, we eat sometimes for comfort, you know, uh, Garnet XLB, he played for the Leafs, uh, Played for your dad too in Atlanta, right? Yeah, played for my dad as well. One of the things that he told me, I I, I kind of asked him this. This is when I was growing up. I said, you know, how do you how do you eat? He said, well, I think about it this way: if I if I get, if I put it into water and let it sit in a bag of water, what would it look like? That's what's in your stomach, right? So <laughs> it was a good it was a good tip, right? That's just like a random a random tip, but that was a good tip for thinking about how we should be eating, right? So if it doesn't look good in a you know in a wet in a wet uh, bag then probably don't put it in your stomach. It probably isn't going to give you the fuel that you need. So, And that's an analogy we can all understand. I, I actually had a, a similar thought where, you know, say if you took cake, pizza, ice cream, 
you know, uh, coffee, put it in a blender and blend it up. And then you put, you do like the green smoothie mix that, uh, that your cousin Cody's so famous for. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, what do you think would just based on color alone, what do you think is going to be better for you? Yeah. Um, so uh, now I want to get your, cause uh, just a thought I had, um, you know, going back to let's the, and then we'll move on, but going back to that part of, uh, being in control of what you can be in control of and, you know, the, the diet and the, the training and a lot of, again, a lot of parents that I talk to, because I know the players feel this way, they feel all I have to do is my kid just has to want to be at that level. They want to be elite. My kid got to the level, but now we're not going to put the work in. And, yeah. and I think that's a big problem. Like I know a lot of my athletes will come and say, well, you know, I really want to play at this level. Okay. Well, what have you been doing? Well, what do you mean? I have to do extra. It's like, well, yeah, of course. But, and they, but then when you explain it to them, they think, Oh, no, that's no, that's too intense. I just want to play at the highest level. So what would you, you know, kind of give a reality check because you played at, you played at every level basically. Yeah. Um, so the reality of, of who you are competing against, because there are some super freaks out there where you come into camp and there's someone from halfway across the world that you've never met and they've been doing all that stuff and you go in and they take you to school. So what would you say to those people who are resistant to, well, we're going to live off of skill. We're, we're too young to be taking this serious right now. Yeah, you're going to get lapped quickly. You know, one of the things I could say from my experience when I played in the Ontario Provincial League with like Brampton, uh, you know, I, I would say that I was one of the elite players, uh, you know, my second season. And then when I decided to make the jump and, and move to, you know, the OHL and major junior, wow, was I, um, I wasn't as good as I thought I was, right? You know, you, you don't realize how, how guys are or girls are nowadays too, right? Like you look at the Canadian national team, the women's team, and the U.S. women's team, and what they do for their training regimen, I, I bet you half the guys in the NHL couldn't couldn't handle it, right? So it's it's just training at an elite level. Like, and I'm not saying start early, but I'm saying like you know, if you start thinking about it as a competition, and if you're competing for a job, whether it be at you know at your team or club level, or whether it be in college or university, or even at the pro level or the Olympic team, you know, the somebody's willing to put in that work, right? So if you're not willing to put in that work, like I said, you're, you're going to find yourself out of the game pretty quickly. And, um, you know, one thing I'd always tell parents too, is your kids know your kids, the kids that want to be at the highest level, they will come and seek you out and they will tell you like, Hey, I need, you know, I need a, I need additional training and they'll be there to support them financially. But I think sometimes kids get burnt out too, because parents are trying to push them too hard. Um, because they're, they're trying to make them, you know, they're trying to live vicariously through them or, or whatnot. So as the, uh, there's that phrase from that uh, best-selling book that goes six days labor, one day rest. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> so, yep I've, I've heard of that book. There you go. Well, Hey, let's um, switch gears here now. Cause we're, we're getting into your junior days. So let's go through this. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember your, your uh, major midget triple a season at Halton. You had yeah. a lot of guys there. You had a really great year. Um, you know, basically all the OHL draft picks who didn't make, who didn't make camp that year went to go play for your uncle. Um, and obviously Cody was there as well. Yeah. And you guys have a hell of a season and now you're going to go to, and you're, I, I, all you guys were, were tops and, and 
you go to now your next transition, which was you're going to leave minor hockey and you go to the Chicago Steel in the yeah. USHL. What was that transition like? Yeah, um, that was an interesting transition because, you know, I was – and maybe I'd even start back from that, you know, Scotty, that year that I went – my major midget year with Halton, I ended up playing for three teams that year. I started the year off actually in Dallas. And uh, what ended up happening was we – we went to go try it for a couple of junior B teams and I think I'd made a couple of them, but uh, maybe my cousin didn't at the time. And I think we, you know, Cody and I, uh, Cody and I were kind of like a package deal. And uh, you know, I wasn't going to go play juniors at 15 without like, without my cousin or without a support system in place. So what ended up happening was actually I went down to Dallas cause my brother was down there playing in the North American league for the tornado. And uh, you know, a month and a half into the season, you know, he ended up getting cut and I've been down there and uh, the first taste of like what it's like to play competitive hockey like this, like they had already, you know, I wasn't used to practicing five days a week and then training right after practice. And I think I lost like 20 pounds in like a matter of like a month down there. Um, that, but I and, told, that's, and that's a prime example of your NHL daddy, AHL head coach. Now he can't save you now. Yeah, exactly. Right? Which a lot yeah, of, ex- which a lot of kids would think that, well, my dad is so-and-so he'll, he'll, he'll back me up on this and he'll keep my spot for me. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, my, my brother ended up getting cut and I was like, well, I'm not going to stick around here, but you know, luckily for, for me, I was very fortunate to have just great, a great billet family down in Dallas. And, um, and I was, um, able to transition from that back, uh, back to Chicago, played junior B there for like two weeks. And I told my dad, I want to go back and play with my buddies. So I had a little bit of taste of junior hockey and, and hockey and elite level and then went back to Halton. But uh, transitioning into the USHL, it was way different, right? Like the, the, the camp and the mindset and the training, like being 16 years old and competing against people that are like 18, 19, or 20, that wasn't something I was used to. And like, you know, physically, I wasn't strong enough, I, I think, to compete uh, at the level I think I needed to. Like I think I had a lot of the skills and intangibles, but I physically wasn't able to, you know, uh, be strong enough to to win board battles or other things like that. So that was kind of like an eye-opening experience. Um, I ended up only playing 15 games there in Chicago, and I realized a couple things. I didn't think I was going to get the development that I needed to be better, partially because the coaching, partially because of the situation. It was kind of a, a bad ownership group in that place. So that's when I decided to go back to Brampton, uh, you know, where Cody had already been playing, my cousin Cody and I, who, you know, we have a pretty sweet connection with regards to just, you know, he knows where I am and I know where he is. And if he gets in a fighting major, I probably get in a fighting major. So <laughs> seen that a couple of times. Yeah. Yeah. I think your dad might've yelled at us a couple of times too. <laughs> but, um, but one of the things like, I think like I was telling you, it's just, it's just getting stronger, right? When you're playing against people that are older, you know, and you're at 16 or 17, like I said, you, you know, you better, you better come prepared because there's nowhere to hide out there. There, there's uh yeah, keep going. That aspect. I was just say there's just that aspect of the game, and, and that's a good point. Like because you know, I still remember. And for people who you know, obviously, n- no one here really knows Spencer the way I did. But Spencer Anderson, from ages 16 to 22, basically looked like Ben Affleck. Uh, <laughs> he had the frosted no. hair. He had the, <laughs> the, the the tall, lanky frame, and he was a big guy. But at the same time, um, and I think this is really important for male athletes of any sport. When you go into your junior uh, development league and you're 16 and there's a guy there who's 20 years old 
that's a that's a boy versus a man and same thing in female sports um you know that's a girl versus a woman and it's two different dynamics and i think that's something that um you know there's the 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 brand of like my kid is playing at the highest level. Look, my kid can play underage on the worst team and she's, you know, and they think that's great or he, or he can play here and that's great. And then it turns out, well, yeah, but you're getting manhandled by adults now. Oh yeah. Yeah. I remember I'm trying to think of some of the guys and maybe it's some of the concussions. I can't remember some of these guys, (laughs) but you know, I remember going into those corners, right. Where you're like, Oh man, like, I hope this guy doesn't grab you because you can, you can just tell like, right. Well, you can tell when somebody grabs you and they're just stronger than you. You're like, Oh, yeah. I hope this is going to hurt too bad. <laughs> yeah. That kind of reminds me of uh bumping Joe Serpe back at one of the brand. Oh yeah. Joe. Taxes. <laughs> and uh, you know, anyone yeah, else would take a bump, but Scotty McDonald, the, the VP's uh, son doing it. No, no, he was going to have any of that and took a run. And I know you stepped in there at one point, but and, you know, he pushed my mask off Spence. Like, <laughs> um, but okay, so let's back up there to that Dallas part because you mentioned, and I think this is going to be calming to a lot of our athletes who are committed to NCAA and they're going in the next year or two. And you yeah. said the importance of a good billet, which is obviously you know um, not exactly what happens at uh, the university level, but it's a support group that was very good to you, and that's really important to be around your team and on res to kind of you know be like a be a family and that. So yeah. Um, kind of, uh, you know, give us a little quick um, briefing on how important that was to you and, and, and what and what you had to do at the start to show like, hey, I'm a good human being and I hope you know, <laughs> we can have a good relationship here. Yeah, I, you know, uh, my brother was already down there and what had actually happened was um, where my brother practiced at the Dr. Pepper Center where the uh, Dallas Stars practice at, um, where they practice at and where like the Dallas AAA team practice at were two different spots. They're like 45 minutes apart. So they were actually looking to find me a different billet family. But for the time being, um, these two people, Paul and Beth, they took me in with my brother um, who they'd already had down there for the month. Um, you know, them not having any kids and then doing, going to have two, you know, adolescent uh, you know, teenagers uh, was something different for them and an adjustment. But the biggest thing for me was just, being very respectful, um, you know, respecting their rules, respecting their boundaries, respecting their, um, their house. And also to just, just being a normal human being, right. Communicating with them, chatting with them actually. Uh, and it's crazy. I was thinking about this the other day. I was telling my wife, uh, playing college lacrosse later on in life. I, I got into to playing college lacrosse, but my bill in Dallas, this guy, Paul, he played D one lacrosse and he actually got me a lacrosse stick. And, and, you know, we'd go out and we'd play with my brother and he used to, he used to get so pissed off at me cause I just freehand him all, all the time. Right. <laughs> and I didn't realize you were, you're not allowed to do that in lacrosse. So he just gets so ticked off. So he'd be just hacking my arm. But like, those are things, um, those are things that I think a lot of uh, kids should look at, right. Just be very respectful. You know, it's not your own home, but you know, still try to make it like a family atmosphere. Like they're not going to replace your mom and dad, but you know, they're, they're there to help, uh, you know, provide for you, whether it be food or whether it be, uh, you know, schooling or, or other resources you need as well too. So. Absolutely. So let's um, now keep going now. So, you know, you go from North Halton, you have a hell of a year there. Dallas doesn't work out, you know, going home to Chai town, it's not the right fit. Uh, you come back up home, you're skating with uh, Georgetown, turns out your Brampton's uh, property. And then the next thing you know, 
you're a part of the Brampton Capitals and you go from being a guy in the USHL who had one assist in 15 games to having <laughs> yeah not a big deal right there eh? <laughs> yeah to, but to coming in the second half which was a which was a really good mid-pack team there's a l- little bit of everything on that squad and uh, you help uh, you know give a second half run to a team that needs some scoring you come back in uh, 18 points in 21 games and uh, you know in Brampton Brampton's a whole new chapter so um, you know take me through you know that transition now so you get there and it starts it's a brand new group of guys obviously you yeah. got your, your, some family there um, but now you gotta again we're starting all over and this is the th- what, third team in a season yeah. usually usually it's like well this guy must be a problem and really it's just not the right fit and this is to be showing how important the right fit is so um, yeah. talk about your, your start in Brampton and what really made that work for you yeah you know it started actually even the year before too with Halton like I get called up I got called up and played one game with Brampton, I think in a playoff game against Hamilton. And, um, you know, I ended up scoring a goal that, that game, although it doesn't show, I didn't get credit for it, but, um, <laughs> you know, it, it was a comfortability with it. You know, I'm not, you know, when you come from the USHL and you go to the Ontario Provincial League, the USHL is a lot more glamorized in the sense of like, I think teams have a bigger budget. It's, uh, you know, 15 well, like team league or 12 teams. States, right. What's that? It's like the OHL of the States, right? Yeah, yeah. It's very similar, like a huge stick budget, huge, uh, you know, big locker rooms, big venues that you're playing at. Then you go back to playing in Brampton, which is a little more intimate and a little, uh, you know, definitely not as glamorized, <laughs> you know, if you've ever been in that, that arena. But um, I would say that the, the people that were running the organization were really first class. Um, you know, starting with like the ownership group with, uh, with Aonzo and then all the way down through your, through your dad and, and Randy and Craner and all those guys, like everybody had a really big impact on me. And, um, one of the things was I felt like they had, they had started acquiring like a good young core group of guys that they were building, they were building a championship team around. And I liked that, uh, that idea of being part of that success and being like a big piece. And, you know, the, the thing for me was just it was just be getting more exposure and getting more playing time. Right. Sometimes we can't control how much ice we're going to get, but I knew I had the ability to be a premier player and I wasn't getting that opportunity down in the USHL, but you know, going to a team like Brampton who, you know, they weren't, they, they're, you know, they're not the cats meow of the, the Ontario provincial league, but I was going to be given a, a better shot to be a premier player. And sometimes that's what you need. You need, you need somebody to give you a shot, right. To give you a spot to, play power player extra ice you know and then you got to go and earn it so um that was something for me that was big and you know i can talk about that further because that that happened later on uh in the last stop of my career when i went to play college hockey well and you know first off i have to say like there's not there weren't too many owners like johnny onzo who literally let his management team here's the money i'm here to watch you guys perform you put the team on the ice let's go and win it and you know we almost got to that point and i think the uh so it's obviously johnny onzo was a huge part of that and probably one of the best owners i've ever seen in in junior hockey by far um yeah. and he just let his guys go out and get the job done now here's something that's interesting that just kind of crossed my mind and i'm glad that uh it kind of struck a nerve with me because i thought about it uh, before we got recording here um <clears throat> i go through this this debate with with parents a lot and, and my athletes a lot and they feel that they would rather be a pointless member of a higher level. Now, I didn't say first place. 
I said, of a higher level. So some of these kids are going to the worst team to be at the highest level and getting their asses kicked. They're not getting any points, but they left the lower level where they were contributing and being either a a scorer or a proper defender or whatever they brought to it. Now, for, for everyone who's listening, what we just went through with talking about, you know, the, the USHL is like the OHL of, yeah. of the USA. So this is really like you going from the O and again, 15 games, one assist. Now you go down to tier two, which people, some people would say, well, no, not my kid trade, trade them to the worst team just to get ice and just to say that we're at the highest level. So what, what would your advice be to our listeners, the, the student athletes, if their parents are tuning in, um, how much more valuable it is to actually get more puck time, get more ice time. Like you said, get that shot to be yeah. a, a higher contributor. Sometimes in life we have to take one step back to take two step forwards. Right. And I think that, uh, you know, I, having been a coach now and having to cut kids, it's never easy, but my message is always the same, right? It's, um, don't be disappointed, be, be upset and be disappointed that you didn't make the team, but look at it that you have an opportunity now to go be a star on another team, you know, and maybe a lower league where you flourish versus, um, you know, like you said, being on, being on like a, a higher team and maybe only playing three to five minutes, maybe you go down and you play, you know, 12, 15, you know, 16 minutes a game and you have opportunities to play in the power play and you actually, you actually develop more. Right. You know, one thing my dad always said to me, it's not about, uh, it's not about getting, it's not about peaking and getting to the highest level, you know, it's not about getting there right away. It's about um, getting better, right? And as long as you're playing, as long as you're playing and you have a team to play for, that's going to be half the battle, right? Like most most people will just burn out and you'll see. My dad will say, you know, he says the cream, uh, the cream of the crop, they'll rise to the top, right? So part of it's just, just getting the, um, getting enough opportunity and getting somebody, maybe it's a different coach, right? That believes in you more. Maybe you're on a crappy team, but you're putting up points and you're getting noticed. And uh, a cool story actually that happened this year, Scott, was uh, uh, last year I coached two teams. I coached uh, in 05 Central States, which is like a double-A league, but I would say most of these double-A teams can really be triple-A teams. It's just, well, I, when, I watched just your, when I watched your double-A team last year and I came when I was down in Chicago, I said, okay, that would beat most triple-A teams here in Toronto in the GTHL. Yeah, so it's it's a very high level. So I had to cut, I had to make some tough choices and cut some uh, some kids. Then I was an assistant coach on the team for the kids that I cut. So what ended up happening this year is, you know, I moved on to coach a different team this year, but some of the kids that were on the team uh, that got cut last year ended up moving up into, into higher roles into the team this year. And uh, they went on and won uh, the state championship. They were getting ready to go to nationals until all this broke out. But one of the guys that I had cut, he went on to score the overtime winner to send them to nationals. So, you know, it's just things like that, right? Like, don't, it's not about, you know, if you're 16, you're not, you can't make the NHL till at least 18 anyway. So yeah, you know, don't get too focused on it. Just get focused on getting better. And like I said, you know, if you focus on those things, it'll always, things will take care of themselves if you're focusing on the right things and don't play the victim too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the one thing so. to play the victim. I tell, I, I preach that a lot. And, and that's the thing too, like, and that's for pretty well, any, any type of athlete, in anybody in, anywhere and uh, you know i always tell family say to me you know is it right for my uh my daughter or my son to play underage what do you think about doing a year of midget before junior and i always say you know what my philosophy is 
play at the highest level where you are at your highest performance. So if you're playing, say, if you can be an A-plus player at midget AAA, boys hockey or midget AA girls hockey or, you know, basketball, football, whatever, and you can be the top player there, and that's where you should be. Because if you're going to go to your junior development league and you're going to be a D-plus, well, you're just, no, that's not going to work out. And that goes, again, back to the whole thing. When you came into Brampton, which was in uh, 05, I believe, you know, you're yeah. 17 going on 18, but now we're about to talk and there's a lot of new opportunities that came when you were now 18 going on 19. And that was when you did the junior selects with Hockey Canada and you yeah. also made Hockey East. And I don't think those opportunities would have happened if you stayed in the USHL. No, absolutely, absolutely not. I think like, again, um, you know, I, I was given uh, – I was given freedom to be a one thing with like coaching. I find Scotty a lot of times is we get stuck into systems and even my dad would tell us too, you know, but like, again, Sydney, Sydney Crosby, Connor McDavid, um, you know, Kendall coin, uh, all these other great athletes and hockey players, they don't be great by just playing into, into a system, right? Like there's gotta be some room for creativity. And one thing that, uh, that Brampton allowed me to do was to be creative and, you know, it doesn't, doesn't mean just, you know, not playing within that system, but, but be creative within the system that we're given. And that really allowed me to flourish and try things. And, you know, playing with my cousin really helped too. You know, when you, when you play with the right people too, it does help. Um, but, you know, I always think about this too, is, uh, those opportunities that I got to do is something special and something I'll cherish forever. And, uh, to be able to do that and, and get those opportunities to play for, you know, for your country. Um, yeah, they would not have been uh, they would not have been able to to do that had I stayed in the USHL. Yeah. And what went on your mind? Like when, you know, you went to those camps and it, cause it's surreal when you think about it, like, uh, um, you know, like my yeah. McKenna is going to be going through it. If, if when the arena is open for uh, U 18 with the OWHA to, to be on uh, the U 18 hockey Canada team, she has that opportunity. So what, when you made that, um, well, for, let, let me back up. Were you preparing as best as you could at the time for that? Or do you think, or does that go back to earlier in our conversation where you probably could have done a whole lot more to really knock that camp out of the park? Yeah, for, it's hard because we really didn't have like the camps, right? I would say I, I was preparing, uh, you know, to, I was preparing for an increased role the following year, right? Going into, uh, you know, oh six oh seven, yeah, right? Big- because I knew, yeah, because I was getting, I was going to be a year older. I was looked at as a leader. And then I was also, we were also losing some guys, right? Some of our older players were, were becoming overagers. So I knew it was going to be a big year for me. And it was a draft. It was my draft year too. So um, I'd spent a lot more time putting in the work over the summer to get myself a little bit stronger. Like I said, I wish I would have probably put more effort into it. But as I was getting ready to to do that, some of those things really weren't in, they weren't in my they weren't in my mind, right? Like the part, part of success is, you know, you, you should have goals that you should be measuring, but part of it too is just, just being your best every day. Right. And, uh, you know, luckily I think, in, you know, in 06, I got off to a really fast start. I think I had what, like six, six points my first game against Milton. I, I was going to bring that up. So yeah, I September think it was six. of 2006 against the Milton ice Hawks. It's a nine, four win. Spencer Anderson has a goal and five assists. And, and that catapults you to the head of the scoring race, because if you, 
that was a high scoring team. And I actually had talked to one of our athletes, Laura Foucault about this, who had a slow start to her junior year when she should have been playing junior last year, but she did a year of, and, and midget, midget AAA uh, boys and midget AA, which is like the AAA for girls in hockey here in uh, Ontario. Um, it's not the same. Like the, the development for the top players isn't the same because there are no 20 year olds and or not many yeah. in, uh, in girls hockey. And, and she had actually got, she actually felt that she should have went to junior the year before. And there's that thing of, you know, she's five foot 10. She's, you know, pretty well a, a young woman now. And she feels if she had that rookie year a year earlier, she would have had a better start this year. And she kind of, and she didn't make you 18. And she didn't really pour it on until the second half of the season where I think she got like 22 points in her last, you know, 18 games. But here yeah. you are putting your rookie year in where some people could have said, well, maybe you should do junior C. Maybe you should, you know, do something a little lower and, and develop a bit more. But you did the opposite where you went in and took the bull by the horns. You have a hell of a start, which brings a lot of value to Hockey Canada when they see someone at the top of the scoring race, at the, you know, um, yeah. than someone who they were hoping would be on that team and they're actually at the bottom and that actually means something to them at that time because it's what can you do for us now yeah yeah you know and I, I was able to keep up a pretty good pace obviously I think I had some injuries that that kind of stopped um some of some of uh, I feel like my production but um you know it's crazy I feel like a lot of stuff that happens is when you get off to good starts or you go through droughts it's all it's all goes back into the mind right like you, you realize how mental hockey can be too right and any sport is uh you know am i good enough am i you know am i strong enough am i fast enough can i you know am i ever going to score another goal again um but when you get off to good starts obviously it just gives you confidence and from there you kind of keep on going and you you can you can build off it a little bit more versus if you get off to a slow start but i actually remember even scotty when i when i first came up to toronto I, uh, I went from playing on these, these really good team, Illinois teams, guys uh, like, you know, Scott Darling was on the team and this other guy, Tommy Wingles and some other guys, I, I think almost the whole team played D one or, or major junior a hockey to go and play for the Mississauga senators who had guys like Sean Mathias and uh, um, Trevor can. And I ended up like scoring like six goals. I think I scored six goals the entire year. I think I can remember all of them and three of them were in one tournament. So, I didn't score a whole lot. And it's funny because my parents were like, you know, do you still want to play hockey? Right. And I remember this because I was getting into golf. And I'm like, yeah, no, I, I still want to play hockey. And then I went to Halton the next year and I got off to a super slow start. Right. Like I was just like, my goodness, I made the wrong decision. I don't think I scored my first 10 games and something flipped in me where I was like, you know what? I went to my mom. And I was like, I need to get stronger. And uh, we found a gym we found a gym and uh, started working with a personal trainer two days a week. And it was no joke, Scotty, like the confidence it gave me, it was just like everything else started to steamroll and pick up speed. And I became stronger. I became faster. Um, I believed in myself more. And it's very similar to that too. Like, I think as you get older and you're going into like make these teams, you know, just if you're struggling or whatever, just look back at kind of like some things that you were doing or maybe that you weren't doing to get your way out of it. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about some of the other opportunities that uh, came about later. Yeah. And, and that's the thing too. Like, uh, I don't think that, you know, I hear when parents talk to me or the players talk to me, um, they go and say, well, I'm in the gym four times a week. Yeah. But to what intensity are you actually training and how, and especially yeah, cause sure. we didn't have all this social media distraction because half the time they're more interested in taking a, a photo 
on Instagram to post to to get more brand recognition for their gym. And I don't think the trainers, um, like there are a lot of good trainers out there, but I think you have to be very selective of who is going to be your trainer and who's going to push you. Because I know, and you know as well, like the only way I was going to compete in training camp with you guys, especially in that big year, 06, 07, like I'm 15 turning 16. All I wanted to do at training camp was to keep up with you guys. And I just knew that summer for me was just going to be stronger because I was on the farm team. And, uh, and I, I just knew my thing was do not waste, do not waste these guys time because if you go in there out of shape and you're dragging ass, they're going to, they're going to boot you off of their ice. And that's how I looked at it. And, you know, and I obviously like, uh, you know, didn't have anywhere near the talent. My, 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 my workout talent didn't match my skill talent for the game. And, and I lost the love for it. But I think that's the one thing is you have to always be thinking, okay, I'm, I'm going into a situation where my back is up against the wall. I think that's kind of the mindset that I took in to see that as success for me. And then, you know, you mentioning too, your back's up against the wall. You think you make a mistake. Okay, let's do something about it. Yeah. You know, we go and get a trainer that's going to give you the proper training now. And then you start to build momentum. And, and I hear that so much, but at the same time, you have to go and do it. Parents and players can say all they want of how much of how hard they're working, but you know, you gotta be, you gotta be doing 160 in a 40 zone, basically. Uh, yeah. You got to embrace the uncomfortableness that yeah. it's, it's going to put you through. And I, I think, um, get comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. And again, going back to, you know, David Goggins talking about enjoying the pain, right? There's some crazy stories he has. And if anyone's listening and you want to hear some crazy stuff, go YouTube David Goggins and listen to his Joe Rogan podcast. The, the stuff this guy did is incredible. But like, you know, when I think about, when I think back to this and even now, actually, I feel like um, you just have to, you just have to want to compete so hard. And I think getting outside even hockey, like in life, everything is ultra competitive, whether or not you're playing hockey whether or not you're in the business world, everything is ultra competitive. You're always competing. Mm-hmm. So you, you kind of have to have that little bit of that killer mentality that you want to compete and get yourself in uncomfortable positions. And it's better to do that when you're younger, because if you start doing it when you're younger, it'll be a lot easier when you're older, because there's going to be those times when you get older and you get into, um, you know, the, the workforce that you're going to be uncomfortable and you're going to have to figure out ways to push, push yourself and push through some of that, that uncomfortableness. So, yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, let's let's finish off that big year because there's another transitioning yeah. coming up. So that 0607 year, Brampton ranked number one in the nation. Yeah, um, you know, it tails off a bit. You know, there's a lot of good leagues out there, BCHL and all that good stuff. They have a lot of great teams that that climb the ranks there. But you guys were still in top ten. Um, Wyatt Russell, who's now a you know famous movie star, which we already knew because his dad's Kurt Russell and his mom's Goldie Hawn. So no surprise there. Uh, and Ryan Everett they go down your, your two goalies who split the season and were the best two goalies in the league go down. And uh-huh. now you got my good friend, Jonathan Rumley, who I feel bad for Moose because he quit hockey after that. And he was actually, you know, I, that was an age thing. I, I I'll defend him there in my non-professional opinion. <laughs> but now you're talking about, you had this golden opportunity to go win the Royal bank cup, the Dudley Hewitt, that doesn't happen. Yeah. And you know, and a lot of our athletes have gone through that uh, in their past seasons. And especially put it this way, right now their season was just taken away from them. So some people thought they were going to win provincials. It, they may, that may have been the best team they're ever going to be on again until another couple of years. So how did, how did the emotionally, how did you handle that? You know, being, that was a, dis- I remember being in the room the last yeah. game. It was disappointing. <laughs> like, we yeah. never have lost. <laughs> 
wasn't easy. I think, uh, you know, we, we, we had, um, for the season, right. I think we, we, we felt like we were one of the best teams coming into it and then to, to not live up to those expectations are never easy. Um, but I would say, I remember having an interesting conversation. I think, I don't know if it was your dad. It might've been Dana, Dana, your dad. And I think Craner was in the room too. Right. And I was on the draft list and I was asking that question like, Hey, do you think I'm going to be drafted? And their, their response was, uh, was no. Right. So they didn't think I was, uh, I was going to get drafted. And I was like, all right, well, it kind of pissed me off. I thought maybe I was, I think I was like touted for the sixth round. And I think they shrunk the NHL draft that year from like eight or 13 rounds down to like six or seven, I think. But, um, yeah, but yeah, it's, you know, it's tough, but you know, you kind of look back and you reflect on like all the things that happened that year. Like I said, you know, I, I was very fortunate. I got to play for team Canada. I got to go play in a, a you know, a Canadian junior hockey league all-star game out in Penticton, BC. I was, you know, I was awarded, you know, one of the top player awards, like a top prospect award for, for all of uh, Canada. Or captain that of the team that year too. Yeah, captain of the team. So I had a lot of individual success and sometimes it stinks because individual success, it's, it's nice. It's nice for the recognition. But, uh, you know, I think people always remember you for championships and kind of sucks that we didn't get a chance to, to go further. But yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and that took momentum away for the following year because a lot of guys had other opportunities and which we're, we're going to get into now. So yeah, uh, there was guys like yourself, uh, you know, Jeff Termanese, um, I know Frank Stagner had left the year before, yep. um, but a lot of a lot of the big boys up in the scoring. They when my dad was saying to have you guys no stay till you're 20, go as men, rack it up here, like let's keep this going, and you say now we got to pull the trigger now, and you uh, you choose the OHL over um, the NCAA. Uh, so there's the there's the first question of and and all let you know what the other ones are but the first question that would be do you feel that was the right move at the time and and looking back would you have done it different um having said that you go to the kitchener rangers who are hosting the memorial cup which is something that your dad has won and that's probably the hardest hockey accolade in my opinion to win because most guys you don't have four years you most guys who play in the o only have two years and if yeah. that's and that's if they're good yeah i, I uh so a couple things that went into that decision were um, it was twofold, right? I, th- I thought that I accomplished there wasn't there wasn't anything left for me. I feel like to accomplish back in the Ontario Provincial League that I hadn't already done. So I felt like if I was to go back, it wasn't going to be a uh, it wasn't going to be a good spot for me to like t- to test my merit as a player. Um, so looking into the OHL, right? I was drafted by Kitchener in '04, and they came and asked me, like, said, "Hey, we're hosting the World Cup." You know, we, we think you're going to be a big part uh, of the team. We want to have you. Sometimes, you know, we get happy years, right? We just kind of hear what we want to hear. And, uh, you know, they made me a good uh, package, right? They gave me uh, they gave me a, a nice schooling package. And then, um, you know, the opportunity to play for Memorial Cup, like what you said, is I think you only got four years to really try to win a Memorial Cup. So I think it makes it four years. Yeah. Yeah. If you're Connor McDavid or, you know, Reinhardt or Tavares, uh, those guys at five, but. And all those guys you're, you're just mentioning, none of them won one. So, uh, that's how hard it is to win it. And, you know, I, there's some, there's some things too, you know, my dad won the Memorial cup back in 75, I believe it was, or 76 76. in Kitchener, in Kitchener. So there was a few things. 
Yeah, in the odds. So there was a couple things that went into that decision. That kind of being one, thought that would be like a nice story. The other thing, too, is I thought my game suited the OHL. I was a little bit bigger, more physical, kind of like a power forward. And I thought uh, I always thought my game had been more suited for the OHL versus college hockey. Um, and I thought if I was going to play in the, you know, if I if I was going to play in the NHL, I thought that this would be a good uh, a good test to see where my game really is at. Um, so I decided to go to Kitchener. Definitely a tough, tough season. Yeah, and and I remember that um, because I got to know more of your family more and hang out with Cody and Hannah and all them a lot more. And I've been, um, I remember, and I'm a stats guy, as you know, because I pretty well big repeat. stats guy. Yeah, big stats guy. And for all you know, like uh, when Spencer left Brampton in 06-07, that's a 55 point season, missing nine games that year. Where another 58. 90, 58. Well, we'll. 50, actually, you know what you are. Guy. Actually, you know what? No, no, what? 59 50, maybe. No, f- 57 actually. Ni- uh, it was 19 goals, 38 uh, assists. Oh, okay. All right, you got. Yeah, so there you there. go. So be, actually, no, that, that's that's right. I, I did screw up on that one, and that, I'm, not even, <laughs> I'm not even looking at hockey DB right now. So I'm, you know, I'm trying to uh, be a perfectionist here on this on this. But um, you know, you go to Kitch, and there's some really high level guys that you're playing with, but it wasn't meshing. And then I knew that your role had changed and uh, it became from we're g- you're going to be a power forward, maybe 15 to 20 goal guy to uh, you're going to be a bruiser. And sometimes we're going to need you to drop the gloves. Now your role's changed. And that, even though I know you've got one of the hardest right hooks in the league and back in yeah, tier right. two, um, you know, took some boys to school, but you know, that's not, that wasn't what you wanted. You didn't want to be, you know, uh, say the Dave Clarkson or you didn't want to be the Brandon press of your hockey career. You wanted to be Spencer Anderson and now you can't be Spencer Anderson because the upper brass who isn't Johnny Onzo anymore is telling you, no, this is who you are now. Yeah. How'd how'd you handle that? (laughs) Probably not. Well, probably not, not as well, not as mature as I should have looking back at it. Um, you know, I, I looked at, uh, you know, Pete DeBoer and Steve Spot. They did want to make me like a David Clarkson. And honestly, like, I don't think I'm ever, I would never consider myself a good fighter. I would just say that, like, you know, maybe I got lucky sometimes. But uh, but when you, when your role changes and when you go from being like a scorer to be putting in like a checking role, um, definitely a tough transition. And I actually started the year off in Kitchener decently well, but then, like, you know, had some setbacks with injuries, um, like tore a ligament in my foot and was out for a couple of weeks and then you start to understand the business side right you know these guys are these guys you know pete DeBoer and steve spot they've got kids and they got families and they got they got mouths to feed so it's a job to them it's not it's not about development it's about winning and i don't think i was ready for that type of shift because i think i was more into you know developing and, and getting better um but definitely one of the longest seasons of my life not only because we went to the moral cup final and lost but just just one of the most challenging years of my life with regards to hockey. And I have to say at the end of the year, I, I, <laughs> I hated hockey, but I'll tell, I'll tell a good story here at the end. Yeah. Well, so, so you know, you, you have like, you make, you make your home in Brampton and it's what a wonderful world basically. Yeah. Right? And then you go to the bigger, better deal, which is what a lot of student athletes and parents are always looking for. And it's not yeah. the bigger, better deal. They're always, but they're going to say, no, Scotty Spence, not me though, not my kid, not my family. Yeah. Um, so what would, what, what was the biggest negative, but what was also the biggest positive that you could pull out of that experience to share with our listeners? Yeah. Uh, biggest, 
the biggest negative was probably like I know the coaching staff was tough. So would you say maybe the culture and the environment? Yeah, probably the culture and the environment, right? Like, uh, you know, I was looked at as, anymore. yeah, well, I was, I wasn't looked at as a leader, you know, I wasn't looked at as like a premier player. So my, again, just changing my role and having to adopt, uh, adapt my game was tough. I'd say that'd be the biggest challenge, right? I went from being a power play guy to being a penalty killer, you know, and really from going and playing like, you know, like I said, 15, 16 minutes a night to going and playing like three to five. Yeah. And then just getting get my my butt chewed out by coaches for things. I'm like, geez, I only played three minutes a game. And you're looking at me. Go talk to the <laughs> other guys. Um, and that's but that's one thing just to mention. They they won't go after the big guys because yeah. those guys help keep their jobs. And yeah, that's exactly. not just the O. That's university too. Yeah, exactly. They, they, again, they've got a family to feed. This is their full time thing. Um, you got to understand that, right? And I don't think I had a good grasp of it. Uh, going into the season the biggest positive scotty is probably and this comes with a little bit of story is you know i was fortunate enough i had a good support system too um through uh through hockey ministries where i was meeting with a guy uh on a semi-weekly uh schedule where we chat right talk about life talk about you know faith and other things like that and um what ended up happening in the playoffs is my i end up getting hurt just as we were getting ready to play Sarnia and Steven Stamkos, I, I took a bad spill into the boards and I ended up, uh, I don't know, it wasn't like a separation, but definitely did something to my shoulder or I couldn't even shoot. It's like I had a dead arm. And uh, I got out of the lineup. We swept Sarnia. I was ready to go back in to play the Sioux in the, uh, the Western Conference Finals. And uh, they basically weren't going to put me in until, until unless something drastic happened, right? So I got basically put on the black aces and one of the things that um the biggest positive was i I had a choice i had a choice to either you know sulk and be upset or i had a choice to work my butt off and make sure that if anyone does go out i'm the first one back in the lineup and uh the guy that i was chatting with he was the one that kind of gave me that perspective and he talked about uh i think it was the 92 olympics in in barcelona when they were talking about the guy who uh he he'd was running the race and he was one of the favorites and he pulled up cause he, uh, he pulled his hamstring and his dad comes running down. Right. And he said, I wasn't not going to finish the race. Right. So we, we kind of got into that theme and you know, it's tough when you're not playing. Like I wasn't even practicing with the team. I was going on after they, they practice. If anyone knows what it's like practicing when like the ice is all chewed up and you're having to do bag skates sucks, but kept a good attitude. And you know, as we go up three nothing on Belleville in the OHL Championship Series, and then we lose two in a row, and they decided to make a change, and I got put in the lineup. And during a, a more crucial part now too, yeah, it went yeah. from being, hey, we're on a roll, we don't need you, to, hey, we're in trouble, we need you now. Yeah, exactly. So a lot of mixed messages. Yeah, yeah. So I get put up in the lineup, and then I, I didn't, you know, they uh, they stuck with that lineup the rest of the way, and I was able to play in World Cup, but. It's just the attitude change, right? I could have played the victim. I could have played, you know, what was me. But uh, that's really stuck with me, you know, even now more so in life, right? When you think about times when they're tough, maybe things aren't going your way. You know, don't look at don't look at everybody else. Look at yourself and think about what you can do better. And I think that that's that's probably the biggest positive you can take, or I, that I took out of that season. So, oh, you know, and and that's the thing too, like. Uh, 
you've gone through a journey here where it's like, okay, had a slow start to midget, you know, finish off strong, go to junior. It's, you know, not what it turns out to be. Find a home in Brampton and, you know, a year and a half of just pure success going to Kitchener, finally getting your shot, you know, things slowly deteriorating and then kind of coming up kind of volatile, like our current stock market right now. Um, and then, yeah. uh, you know, and there's all that change. And instead of saying, well, I'm a victim, piss on you guys. It's no, keep grinding. We're going to figure this out. And I think that's the message that a lot of our listeners have to understand when something goes wrong, like life is part negative and you don't have to live or dwell on it, but you do have to learn how to handle that negativity. And that's actually something we're going to be talking later as our episodes progress, as we start to get into just talking about certain life skills per episode. So now I know that, you know, Kitchener doesn't work out and now we get the trade to Belleville and that was kind of just a, you know, just filling her in basically type of role and, and on a, on a filler and kind of team for a league at the time too. Yeah. So now, now you go from, you know, you go from living in the Royal palace to saying, Hey, um, the Bell Vegas, know, Ontario. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, back to Tallahassee boy. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and, and that's, and this is really where that, 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 that era of the OHL and, and junior hockey is going to end for you. So, um, you know, now you're leaving your junior career. What's on your mind? Like the, it's almost like the, the, the heart of the order is gone. So now, so now what? Yeah. Uh, well, the Belleville thing for me was just more like this to see if I can get an opportunity. Right. And, and see if it was the team or if it was me, you know, and uh, you know, going there and then getting cut, you know, halfway. Into- I think I had what, like three points, like, you know, three points in like, 50 some odd games or 30 some odd games. Like, yeah, that wasn't going to cut it. Wasn't, worth, still had a pretty good wasn't worth remembering for me. That's for sure. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I shouldn't even have brought those stats up. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, I, I legit was like, all right, well that's the end of hockey for me. And it's so funny, right? Like just as quick as you think you've got momentum, how quickly, uh, you know, you have such a narrow window with hockey uh, or sports sports in general you don't think it's ever going to close as quick as it does and it always closes it just closes quicker than you, you think it's going to so um what had happened actually that summer is my dad had coached this guy and his name's scott bell he's actually a, a scout for the leafs now look him up awesome guy he called my dad in the summertime and said hey we'd love your son to come you know red shirt for a year and play division three hockey in in minnesota and it was with hamline right yeah, yeah, with Hamlin. And at the time, I was like, no, I want to give the OHL another chance. Like, I still think I can play. And I trained a little bit harder that year, you know, really got up at 5 a.m., did these hills, did these sprints with my mom and this, this other group of uh, people, but did that and was really committed to getting myself in better shape. And then I had to wait around to get traded. But, uh, but yeah, it didn't end up working out. And, you know, I get traded to Belleville. That didn't work out. So what ended up happening is once I got released, I legit packed up all my stuff, left. And within a week, I got enrolled in school at Hamlin and left uh, left there January 1st and started started my education. Because one thing my dad always told me, too, he's like, you know, um, they can never take your education away from you, right? And my dad, being a guy that had uh, grown up, got his, uh, you know, his, his high school diploma, you know, I think he wished he would have gotten, uh, you know, gotten his college degree. And he he'd kind of always put that on me. So, um but got enrolled in there and had to sit out a full year to, to get my eligibility back from playing in the OHL. And, uh, I ended up only a lot playing. Of parents don't know about 
they think go to the O, then if that doesn't work, go to university and they forget about the year gap that you have to wait. Yeah, yeah, you got a you got a red shirt, and that wasn't easy, but uh, great system, great people. Oh, Minnesota, it's got a special place in my heart. But the um, the biggest thing, though, Scotty, is like we we think all about D one, right? We think about Division one, like it's the creme de la creme, it's the premier. We're trying to get these scholarships, dude. D three, so underrated on how good it is. Absolutely, you know it's and uh, and people get so focused on D one. But I ended up going and playing uh, D3 in the Mayak. Never even heard of the Mayak. Never heard of Hamlin or, or any of these teams that we end up playing against. And a lot of them are guys that just got passed up, right? They 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 had every bit of talent, but maybe, you know, things or whatever. But there were some there were some guys up there that easily could have played D1 hockey and been like, you know, first two liners. Um, but I went up there and had a – very fast start when I when I did get back in the lineup. I didn't know if I was ever going to score again, and sure enough, I think the first game I had a goal and three assists. I think it was and then the next twenty four points in sixteen games or something yeah. of that nature. It was pretty wild. I was actually that's one of the last things I said there, and uh, and again, like you said, it's a uh, sorry, it's sixteen games, ten goals, fourteen assists for twenty four points, yeah. and again, it's not D one, it's not the USHL, it's not the OHL. It's like going back to your home in Brampton. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it was eerily similar. Yeah. Eerily similar. And uh, what a great experience. You know, I had a coach who believed in me. I had uh, a coach who trusted me, put me on the power play, put me in, you know, put me in key spots to succeed. It didn't mean that I was playing the first two lines, though. I was really playing second, third line ice um, for normal shifts. But if the power play came around, they just put me on the point and just, he just said, just let, just unleash the hammer. <laughs> let that slapper go so you know that but but to have you know like i said confidence is such a big thing in the game um and when you have people that believe in you uh it really it really is going to bolster your play so but i finished i only played half a season there and i decided i, I wanted to hang it up at the time because i didn't want to i didn't want to go through playing more i thought i wanted to go play college golf and start a family and all that stuff and that's kind of where where it all ended but it was a it was a great experience and that's something I, I think that we should really touch on if uh, we'll do a, a second episode, I think now, um, to continue on where we'll actually get into, we just talked about, here's our student athlete career. Let's do part two and talk about career, family, life, and that transition. So yeah. um, before we go, um, I want to ask the question, if you were here now sitting with 16-year-old Span- Spencer Anderson, what would you say to him? What would be the best advice you could give for that kid moving forward? Yeah. It'd probably be two things. It'd be two things would be number one, just enjoy it. Enjoy it because it goes so quickly. And really uh, the other piece of advice is uh, as part of enjoying it, you know, enjoy getting uncomfortable, right? Enjoy the pain of, uh, of putting in the work in the gym and on the track, uh, you know, and on the ice, because if you did, you probably would have had a better shot of playing and, and, and accomplishing a dream, right? And uh, I do look back at that. I do wish I would have put more time in and uh, getting stronger and fit and controlling the things that I could have controlled uh, instead of, you know, maybe going out and hanging out with friends. Circuit workout first. I should have done, I should have done more of that. In hindsight's twenty twenty, my friend Spence. This has been awesome. This is, again... 
Real Experience Student Athlete Podcast with Spencer Anderson, part one, Spencer Anderson's student athlete career. Stay tuned. We'll be doing part two of post-student athlete of the Spencer Anderson. Spence, once again, it's awesome. You and the family stay uh, safe. Tell uh, Johnny A and Mama Karen that uh, I'm uh, thinking about them. And uh, I really appreciate you being here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Scotty. Absolutely. Take care, bud. All right, you too. Bye now.